0: From New York City. A podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights. This is The Cry Havoc Company.
1: Hello, and welcome to The Cry Havoc Podcast. Today, around the table, we have.
2: Jenny Curlin, I'm a member of Actors' Equity and SAG-AFTRA.
3: Jerzy Gwizdowski, I'm a member of Actors' Equity and SAG-AFTRA.
0: Jennifer Kerfman, I'm a member of Actors' Equity. Jennifer Reichert, I'm a member of the Dramatists' Guild. Carrie Flanagan, I'm a member of Actors' Equity.
1: And Kit Lavoy, I'm a member of the Society of Stage Directors and Choreographers and the Dramatists' Guild. Today, we're talking about unions that actors, directors, and writers belong to in both theater as well as television and film, although I think our our primary emphasis will probably be on theater, since that's where most of us do uh, most of our work, but we'll touch on all of the different unions. Uh, But uh, I can remember when I was uh, starting out in the business, and even before I started out when I was in college, thinking about the day when I would get my equity card, which incidentally I did not because my career path changed, but the idea that that would be the day or that I became a theater professional. And what I came to discover over time was that there's a lot more to what these unions do, Uh, that there's something much more than just a gold star on the top of your resume that say you're a professional actor, but they really do function in very important ways uh, in the industry and very different ways in the industry than I necessarily thought they did uh, when I was starting my career. And so today we're going to talk about some of the nitty-gritty of the different unions, what they do, uh, how and when you might want to become connected with them and also our personal experiences of how the unions have impacted our own careers. So, to start out, uh, let's, let's talk about the different theatrical and film unions. I think we'll probably primarily focus on the theatrical unions because those are the ones that we work with most frequently, although we'll also touch on the film unions and probably most especially the uh, actors' film unions because uh, several of you guys belong to those unions. So let's actually start off talking about the acting unions. Uh, what unions are the primary acting unions that you guys belong to?
3: Uh, For the stage, uh, you've got your Actors' Equity Association. And uh, for film and television, uh, SAG-AFTRA, formerly two separate but affiliated um, unions, now merged into one union. And SAG-AFTRA stands for? SAG is, and was, the Screen Actors Guild, AFTRA, the American...
1: Federation of
3: Television and Radio Artists yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: and the Actors' Equity Association incidentally is, is less often abbreviated but is abbreviated at times as AEA mm-hmm. so if people see that written down uh, especially on people's resumes and things like that they'll mm-hmm. put at the top usually AEA, SAG-AFTRA or whatever abbreviation of the uh, unions that they belong to because as we'll discuss it actually is very important for the people who are hiring you to know what unions you do belong to so, let's start off talking about the Actors' Equity Association, the Stage Actors' Union. There are several different ways that you can join the union. Um, and actually, I think you guys uh, have got into the union in several different paths. I think, Jersey, you were took kind of the most straightforward and traditional path into the union.
3: Yeah, it was the simplest, which is to get a job with an equity contract. Um, and then by virtue of that, I joined the union, and those first couple paychecks went toward my initiation fee and my first round of dues, um, but it was, a, for me, a, I mean, after getting the job, which wasn't necessarily the most simple process, the joining a, of the union itself, that was pretty straightforward.
1: What job was it that got you your equity card? It
3: was a production contract, it was the, the Broadway production of the Lieutenant of Inishmore.
1: Alright, and uh, Jenny Curlin, how did you become a member?
2: Um, I was actually first a member of SAG, Uh, I became a member of SAG in 2008 and they have this thing with the sister unions where you, uh, if you are a member in good standing for a year in SAG or um, the other unions uh, and have worked as a principal or as an under five performer during that year then you are eligible to join Equity and so that's what I did. So I joined Equity in 2009 through that process.
1: Now, I also will note that we're using actually a lot of different terms of art in here that perhaps we should define that actually are things that come from the union contracts, that there's a lot of ways that we talk about the kinds of roles that people get and things like that and even the kind of production that something is I mm-hmm. mean most people don't realize that really the major difference between something mm-hmm. as an on-Broadway and an off-Broadway production is really which equity contract yeah. they use um, to mm-hmm. to hire the actors so uh, you talk about a principal or mm-hmm. an under five what what are the difference between those?
2: Well what I mean by the under five is is literally just if you have under five lines the role that you've been cast as has under five lines, and then a principal uh, has more than five lines for you know the role that you're cast as.
3: Oh, and, and actually, I, um, I use the term production contract, not realizing that's a the very specific term designating the level of contract, just as Kit was saying, that really those different types of productions are defined by which equity contract you're on and a, a Broadway show... Is what the union calls a production contract and then there are other categories that break down as you are in and out of New York or if it's off Broadway or if it's a cabaret or if it's a shorter engagement or if you're in another market um, there are other contracts and agreements specific to those markets um, but in a way that I think I never realized until I work in a few of those different markets the Shape of a theater community in a, a metropolitan area is really um, shaped by those contracts, and I, I, I didn't realize that when I was when I was starting.
1: And I think we'll get further into this as we as we uh, get a little bit further into the conversation, but the reason that the unions have all of these different kinds of contracts, different breakdowns, the difference between the principle, the difference between under five, is that there are, for instance, salary minimums that go along with each of these different categories and things like that. So, um, But uh, Jen, how did you join the union?
0: Um, I, I started working in... Uh, equity theaters when I was pretty young and I was working as a non-equity actor in equity theaters. And one of the ways that you can join the union is to be an equity membership candidate. And that was a program that because I was working in an eligible theater that had equity contracts for equity actors, I could sign up and pay a, I think it was a hundred dollar fee to get into that program, which was sort of a stepping stone into the union. So that was actually not how I ended up getting into the union but it was a big part of my journey towards that Um, ultimately I really joined um, when I was offered a contract on a show that was touring for children's audiences which was a a theater for young audiences contract Um, but I, I spent a lot of time as a member of the EMC program where you accumulate weeks based on how many weeks you work in one of those eligible theaters and you are after you've done 50 of those weeks, you are then eligible to join the union without being offered a a union contract. Um, So similar to the way that you can join if you were a member of SAG, the way Jenny described.
1: And you talked about the theater for young audiences. That actually is a way that many people end up joining the union. Mm -hmm. That there are a number of touring theaters for young audiences, that kind of the business model that they have put together is that they are an equity theater and they get the best of the young talent who are not yet equity uh, to tour with them by putting them on a contract that will get them their equity card. Um, So it does mean going on the road for a few months, but it it will end up, uh, but you end up with your equity card at the end of it, um, if you get a role with one of those companies. Kerry, how did you join the union?
2: I joined in a similar way to Jersey where I worked directly on a contract uh, for an off-Broadway show called Blackout, but I worked as an assistant stage manager on the production. Um, actors' Equity is the union that represents actors and also stage managers, so that is a, another way to become eligible.
1: And it is an interesting thing about the way that Equity works is if you're a member of Equity, you're a member of Equity. So, if you join as a stage manager, you also are eligible for the acting work, and if you join as an actor, you're also eligible for the uh, for the stage managing work.
3: That was one thing too that I was uh, I didn't know when I was when I was starting that the stage managers are represented under the under the same are are members of the same union as, as the actors. But after having worked in the business for a number of years, it makes a good deal of sense that essentially the the stage manager in the room is the advocate and resource for, and the the liaison between the actors in the show and the rest of the production staff in a way that uh, it seems at this point to I me mean, it couldn't work any other way.
0: I think there's an important distinction to something you said Kit too about being eligible for the acting work or the sta- mm-hmm. stage management work because um, as was the case for Jersey everyone is eligible for the work. You don't have to be a member of the union to be hired for these jobs. Sometimes if you're hired for the jobs, you must become a member of the union, but not in all cases. And um, that really does depend on which contract it is and which, you know, what the theater is that you're working for. But the jobs are available to everybody. You can't always get your way in the door for them, but you can get the job if you can be seen for it.
1: Well, let's actually talk a bit about what the benefits are of being a member and actually maybe one of the benefits to start with is is the leg up that you do have for several reasons of getting work at Equity Theatres. Do you guys want to talk at all about that?
0: I think the primary thing is um, Equity has a very extensive set of rules about auditions and members of the union get all sorts of, of benefits and access to auditions. The, um, the union requires theaters who work on an equity contract to have a certain number of open calls each year. They have all sorts of rules about um, chorus auditions and dance auditions and music auditions and um, auditions for plays. And um, the, the primary benefit of having your equity card, from my perspective, is access to those auditions that I didn't have access to necessarily when I was not equity.
1: And what are other benefits of being a member of Actors' Equity?
3: Well, the sort of the core benefit, which is really the core benefit of being a member of any union in any field, is um, the ability to collectively bargain your payment, which is how those levels of contracts are established and why there are different levels of contracts. Um, that's true of SAG-AFTRA, that's true of Equity, that for a particular type of work you're guaranteed a minimum salary of x depending on what the work is and for example the the equity membership candidate program if you had been working in a theater for you know whatever weekly salary the theater had deemed it could afford and then got your 50 weeks and joined the union then you then likely your pay goes up because you're now a member of the union and you're eligible for that minimum equity salary.
0: And the other thing is, as also with other unions, working conditions. The Theatre for Young Audiences contract that I mentioned earlier is a very, very good example of that. Because you can go out on the road and do Theatre for Young Audiences without an equity contract and you can drive 800 miles a day after performing three times, there's all sorts of, you know, crazy demands that people can make on you and having a union contract really protects your working conditions. How many performances you can do in a day, uh, how long you can work before you have a lunch break, you know, all sorts of things that really impact your ability to do your job well.
1: Yeah. And that actually gets into why uh, it is so helpful that stage managers are also members of the union because, again, they're really the ones who are keeping those rules, you know, that you need to take a break every certain amount of time. If you go over that, um, over a certain number of hours in the day, depending on the contract, uh, you go into overtime and things like that. So, yes, working conditions is a really important part of what it is that the union gives. And I I also think this is a, a good opportunity to mention about actors' equity, but also all of these. Again, as Jersey said, they are unions. They're not a club. They're not a social organization. They're not a gold star on your resume. They are unions, and that there's a lot of the things that they give that are really important for people who are trying to make a living as an actor, including ways to get a pension, and health insurance Mm -hmm. and like many unions they have emergency funds if you have a a you get sick and you can't pay your bills that you know all of the members are paying in to help each other in those things and that's just something that i know i i feel really strongly about the ethical obligations of if you are a member of the union to be a member of that union and stand up for it And, you know, one of the things that we actually should talk about in a minute about potential drawbacks of being a member of the union is that once you say, I'm a member of equity, you agree you will only work in equity for equity approved contracts. Um, And what that means is that there are some jobs at smaller theaters or whatever that you might like to do that you cannot do. And I do know a lot of people, and especially early on when people are first joining, where they say, oh, I'm Jenny Curlin, a member of Actors' Equity. But sometimes I'll be Janie Curlin, and (laughs) Janie Curlin isn't a member of Equity. (laughs) Jenny did not do this. She's looking very concerned. (laughs) Um, But where I'll have some fake name, and I'll work non-union jobs, and that's the way that I'll get around it. If you're going to join the union, You don't want to get around it. The reason that the union works is because, like any union, because of unity. Because of that idea that all of the professional level actors in New York City have agreed if a producer wants to hire any of us, they have to treat the person they hire with respect or else they can't hire any of us. And it's just such a critically important thing that if you're going to join a union, to stand up for it and 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 be sure that you are making it possible for the union to collectively bargain because they are in fact bargaining on behalf of everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and because the reality of it is, there are so many people out there that want to be actors for a living. And so many people that would like to be members of equity if equity wasn't there, no one would get paid to be an actor. There would always be someone who would do it for free. And it's just, again, that important thing. If you're going to be a professional and call yourself a professional and take your membership in the union as a symbol of being a professional, you need to stand up for the profession and abide by the union's rules.
3: Definitely. I mean, if if any of us were fashion models for example uh not unionized and that's what happens in those jobs especially early in your career the understanding is that each individual fashion model is bargaining on behalf of him or herself and you take very low pay for those jobs early in your career or no pay in order to build your portfolio etc to the point where once people want to work with you, you can raise your quote to a living wage. But the the difference is, is, I think, very clear in early career. I mean, models is the first thing that comes to mind because there is no union uh, and there are a lot of similarities in the way that the work happens. You know, you're essentially a freelancer, but there's no network of support. There's no um, organization behind you and you're on your own and it can be very difficult starting out in that field. The benefits are also, especially in in equity, housing, overtime, you know, uh, all of these things that essentially can cost a producer more money. So if you are that person on uh, um, the equity membership, you know, getting your weeks and then you can all of a sudden command a higher salary you might lose that job you might, they might not want to hire a person that has joined equity there is a, a give and take on that so i think it is it is a, something that jen says a lot you know you don't want to join the union too early mm-hmm. um where you might be missing out on work
1: because the thing you were talking about with the fashion models about working for free to uh, you know to get a reputation and yeah. things like that that is an important thing to do early on in your career but that's but that's again why usually it's a good idea to wait to join the union until you've had a chance to do some of that stuff. and and again, i I know a lot of people coming right out of school are like the first thing I need to do is get my equity card. But I actually have known several people who have floundered their career because they got their equity card before they were ready to compete in that pool of actors. Mm-hmm.
2: There's also a lot, a lot of work for non-union actors all across the country, and a lot of the tours that go out you know of Broadway shows go out first national tour are you know generally equity tours although not necessarily and then usually within the you know second or first or second year they turn non-equity so there's so many great tours out there of
0: top shows that are non-union and i th- i think it's important also to recognize as a young artist especially a lot of contracts especially in the regional theaters a lot of contracts a regional theater has a requirement in their relationship with equity that um, and it's different all over the country in all of the different markets but um, you know as an example that based on the number of actors they're gonna hire in a season or the number of actors that need to be hired for a show or whatever their particular parameters are um, they have to have a certain percentage of equity contracts and so often if you're trying to do a big musical or you're trying to do a Shakespeare play or something that's got, um, you know, maybe a really great role for a young artist, um, the theater is not going to be able to afford any more equity contracts than they are required to offer. So they're going to cast King Lear as an equity actor because the chances are pretty good that the best guy for the job has been in the business for years and years and years and years and has been a member of the union for years and years. and Um, but Cordelia is going to be somebody they need to cast as a young woman, presumably. And that might be somebody who is really skilled and really up to the job, but hasn't been in the business that long and is not yet in the union. And so they might be able to cast that role with a non-union actor and save that equity contract that they you know that they have to offer for somebody else for another role that they couldn't fill with a non-equity actor and it's not a it's not a question of quality it's a question of availability there are more opportunities when you're young to work in a regional theater on a great equity uh in a great equity setting but as a non-equity member of the cast if you were equity in that circumstance, they might say, I'm sorry, we just can't use you. We need to use, we need to fill this role with somebody who is not in the union yet. And so there are tons of opportunities, not only for tours that are completely non-union, but also for non-union slots in a union production. And those are things to take advantage of and get to know casting directors and get to know directors before you join the union so that once you are equity, they know you and they want you to play Cordelia and so they will spend that equity contract on you.
3: Mm -hmm. Speaking of those contracts and codes, I just counted them up and there are 44 different individual contracts and codes you can work in as an equity actor. I've maybe worked under five or six different ones. Cabaret, um, SPT, which is a small professional theater, regional uh, production contract, a um, mini contract. A mini contract. Uh, Lort, which is a, a regional theater, a larger regional theater, probably another. Oh, and a, a workshop agreement, um, which does allow for equity actors within New York City to work for. The showcase the code. Show, oh, the showcase code. code. Showcase what did I say, code? workshop? The showcase code, of course. And then there are other regional, which is very sp- specific to New York. There are other regional specific. Oh, and I did just did a guest appearance as well. There's there are LA specific equity um, codes, the 99 seat theater, so smaller theaters that can operate uh, for equity actors working on stage in LA. Um, but in different markets, there are different codes and contracts. Disney World has its own equity mm-hmm. agreement. San Francisco area theaters have their own series of agreements. So, of those 44, you know, as as a member, you may work, you'll probably work under less than fewer than half of them. In your career, but uh, there is a lot of uh, work put into not only the fair wage, but uh, to reflect the theatrical market in a given region, which is why New York, I mean, in some ways, they're broken down into New York contracts and agreements and everything else, which reflects in a lot of ways the way that how much theater is happening in New York versus happening. In other markets, but those markets that do have a lot of theater do have a lot of equity contracts, do have some unique, regional specific agreements. Mm-hmm.
1: And as you mentioned, and I think is worth highlighting, in most of the major um, theatrical markets—New York, Chicago, LA—they equity does have agreements under which actors can work uh, for free in you know and and again in new york it's called the showcase code which i think underlies the reason that they that they allow for it in those places where there's a a, a large number of actors is to create a situation where those actors can be seen but still even that does require some basics in terms of what kind of rehearsal and performance spaces that they're going to be in, uh, you know, to be sure you're not, you know, rehearsing in a rat-infested basement someplace or mm-hmm. something. Uh, and also that the actors be given uh, a travel stipend and and things like that. And also that there be a reasonable amount of rehearsal that a uh, and a a set number of performances. Generally, it's sixteen performances that you can do of these shows, and it has to be. Rehearsed Rehearsed. Generally, I think it's four weeks of rehearsal that you can have of it. So you can't, again, enslave an actor for a year and a half mm-hmm. on, a, on a on a on an agreement that doesn't pay them. And non-equity actors can
3: work alongside of equity actors in those showcase right those mm-hmm. shows, um, and in some of those different contracts. Um, I mean, I've worked with um, theaters that maybe the, the production would have two or three equity actors so they would bring it you know they would bring us in under a a uh, special appearance contract which meant it was essentially a non-equity production with three equity actors but that meant your stage manager was not necessarily uh, an equity stage manager if it's a small professional theater contract you will have an equity stage manager but you don't you're not required to use all equity actors but there is a a number as as Jen was saying earlier that's sort of the way those things begin to break down as um, the cost of putting up a show you know, come into play.
1: All right. Um, before we move on from equity, are there any other benefits to being a member that you guys uh, would like to mention?
0: Yeah, there are a number of benefits that, and and some of these cross over and are, are true of um, being a member of SAG and AFTRA as well. But um, the Actors Fund is a pretty extraordinary resource and there are actually ways you can get affiliated with them if you're not in the union but they have a whole list of rules about how you demonstrate that you're a professional in the business but as a member of these unions you have access to all of their programs Um, and it includes seminars Um, there's a program called the actors work program that they run which is about helping uh, artists find sort of sideline and day job kind of work there's a program called Career Transition for Dancers, which takes into account that dancers' careers you know, come to an end earlier than actors' careers do, um, and to help bridge that gap for dancers.
3: The Actors Fund is essentially a multifaceted service organization that is a wonderful resource, and as a member of Actors' Equity, you are you get all of those uh, those those wonderful those wonderful services. Including the shoes. You get forty dollars toward a pair of shoes every two years as you're pounding the pavement through the actors fund if you apply and are eligible. So a pair of shoes, you can't beat that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they also I mean they have like like computer training courses, they mm-hmm. have everything there. Seminars about finding housing, affordable housing in New York.
1: Are there drawbacks to being a member of the union?
0: I mean, we've talked about it a fair bit, especially about drawbacks to joining the union before you're ready to join the union, before you have relationships with people who will be able to give you jobs when you do have your equity card. But I think it it bears repeating that um, once you're in equity, you must only audition for union shows. You know, like you said, there are ways to work for free, you know, on certain contracts and codes or, you know, for very little money, but you are no longer able to go and do one of those non-union tours that Jenny was talking about. You you can't give up your card and then get your card back. You know, once it's a real commitment and it really means you are, um, you are kind of closing a door on the non-union work that you're maybe familiar with. And I think that's, you know, just an important consideration in deciding to join equity.
1: And and I I do think I mentioned it before, but I think it's worth re underlining with your underlining, which is that it is a little bit different with actors than the other disciplines and specifically theater actors, which is just the practical element of being able of being a member of the union and being limited to the union work which again is the work everyone aspires to, and yet it's the only work you're allowed to take, it puts you into a pool of actors who also have passed that bar. And so it just does mean that, uh, you know, if you luck into a circumstance where you can get your equity card, but you are not ready to compete against that group of people, it can put you in a position where you just don't get work again. You know, and so it's just a matter of people are different, and there certainly are people who, at 18 years old, are ready for their equity card, but um, and are ready to compete in that in in that uh, pool. I mean, certainly, the world needs some 18-year-old equity actors because there are you know shows that have 18-year-olds in them, but. You have to be really honest with yourself about whether that's the right thing for you and whether you're ready to compete against those people. And everyone would like to think uh, that they're ready, but if you're really trying to build a career and have this be something that you're doing when you're 50, sometimes, in fact, I would say many, many, many times, that means that you're not necessarily best off having your equity card when you're 22. I think, as long as one approaches
3: union membership as what it is, as Kit was saying earlier, it's not a club, it's not real actor versus fake actor, real writer versus fake writer, that it's really a choice to join an organization that will advocate for you and bargain for you, that if that's your outlook going in, there, uh, there there, won't be those drawbacks. I think you'll find drawbacks when um, seeking union membership for the sake of, for its own sake, rather than for the benefits that it provides. Um, so the best thing you can do to avoid drawbacks is to educate yourself about what you'll be eligible for, what you won't be eligible for. What you stand to gain and what you might stand to lose by joining, and if if all of that is clear for you, then I don't I don't think you'll be surprised or, or even would consider the things drawbacks you know that we're talking about.
1: One thing that we should talk about before we move on from equity are that because it is a union, there are fees to be a member: an initiation fee an annual fee to keep your membership current, uh, plus other fees that go along with it so do uh, one of you guys want to talk to that
0: there's a i mentioned earlier there's a hundred dollar fee to join that um, equity membership candidate program and then when you join the union um, you have to pay a four hundred dollars as a starting point to a total of $1,100 $1,100 initiation fee. So um, one thing that's lovely about equity is that they will, after you've paid that $400, you are considered to be in the union and 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 current, um, and they will let you make payments on the rest of that money um, up to the $1,100. And I believe that $100 equity membership candidate fee also gets uh, folded in. Applied you know, to, in. But, they're really good about that. Yeah, and then you, you're, you pay um, twice a year, you pay dues of 58? $58, $59? 59, $59. 118
3: annually, $59 twice a year yeah. just to maintain your membership. And if you aren't a working actor, if you change careers, you can remain a member of Actors' Equity um, if you leave for a number of years, as long as you pay that 118 a year.
0: Um, And then when you're working on a contract, you uh, also pay a percentage of of working dues, they call it. um, Two and a quarter. Two and a quarter percent. And that is um, taken out of your, your paycheck when you get your paycheck from the theater and applied straight to equity, sent straight to equity.
1: And I think before we move on, it is just worth summing up um, the eligibility requirements for being a member of of equity. You all talked about your own experience of of getting in. But there are three primary ways of becoming a member of the union. One is being offered a role that is on an equity contract. The second is being a member of a sister union in good standing. Uh, And a third is the equity membership candidate program. You guys who are members of SAG-AFTRA, obviously there's a lot of this being a member of an actor's union that carries over. It's just, in the case of SAG-AFTRA, it's for uh, television, film, and radio roles rather than theater roles, Uh, which actually, I want to be sure we were clear, equity is for live stage acting. Um, But uh, is there anything that you guys think is important to talk about that's specific to SAG-AFTRA?
2: Well, I think some of the benefits um, you know they have similar benefits to equity but also you get invites to screenings of films that are out you know a lot in preparation for award shows and stuff and you also get producers will mail you screeners or give you now online access to download films that are being nominated uh, specifically for the SAG awards um, so always you know in January you'll get you know a number of DVDs and uh, online offerings to to watch these films so that you are able to vote and participate in that which is an important part of uh, That union that
3: I would also add to that. I mean the screeners are great Uh, I would also add just the way of the world is that television film work pays better than theater so the uh, dues and initiation fee are significantly higher and I would also add to that, that the benefits are, I don't want to say better, but the, maybe a little more inclusive. The health, for example, is applied for a year, where uh, the health benefits, whereas in, in um, equity it's quarterly, right? Um, the initiation fee I creeps think, up every couple of years. Yeah,
2: I think now it's at $3,000. 3000
3: Um and you can also uh, you can do something similar to the equity initiation fee, and and break it up into I think three payments. That's how I did it when um, when I was a must join, uh, which meant I'd done a couple of uh, of waivers doing doing SAG work without joining the union. It's now SAG after the union um, unions recently merged. But then you do that third job, you're a must join. You if you're going to do another job, people keep casting. You're going to have to join the union. Um, and it requires paying at least part of that initiation fee up front, which happened to me, yeah, when I joined, I think, 2009, 2010. Um.
2: Yeah, and I, I joined in 2008, and it was after I got my first film role, and I was sent a letter that basically said, you are now eligible. And I had really wanted to join the union, and so I did at that point, after the first
1: um, I uh, just uh, did a second, so I'm also a must-join. So the next job I get cast...
3: You get a pay.
2: I got to pay.
3: Right. <laughs> and then you get your screeners, and then you yeah. get your... Yeah. Um, and the the dues for SAG-AFTRA also work on a percentage of income.
2: Right, which I didn't realize.
3: Yeah. <laughs> no. And what else? Oh, well, um, as with equity when uh, the stage manager being the essentially the on-site advocate for the union rules, the schedule, et cetera, there's no stage manager equivalent on a television or film set, but what you will have are union representatives that are there to ensure that the work that's happening is on the correct contract, that the overtime is accounted for if you're going overtime, that there are a lot more schedule-based, they call them penalties, which sounds kind of negative, but if you go over X amount of time without, different kinds of overtime, essentially.
2: There's like a food Um, penalty. Yeah, a meal
3: penalty if you go over, you know, so long without having your meal break, and then different things like stunt pay and hazard pay, Mm -hmm. and these sort of things that if you put yourself in a certain situation, there's a higher rate of pay. And sometimes you'll be in a scenario where, you know, it's a question whether or not something qualifies as hazard pay, and that's why it's great to have that union representative on set who can say, this definitely qualifies, so I'm gonna go to the producer and we're gonna make sure that you're getting, the fact that you're on top of a moving vehicle going 60 miles an hour down a highway is probably somewhat hazardous, <laughs> and so you're gonna get that that bump to your your pay for being in a hazardous situation. For example, so that's a great thing is to have that that uh, SAG after uh, rep on set, and they 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 hit every I mean big budget films, smaller I mean television things, uh, lower budget films. They'll and student visit a lot films of sets.
2: can apply for to include SAG actors as well, so you can work on student <sighs> films. That you just the student would need to apply for it, but
3: yeah, there there's a difference between you know a contract and an agreement. You can work on a SAG agreement. Uh, with deferred pay or a one time fee that's you know an ultra low budget as a SAG actor, it just you know there there are things that the producer has to do in order to qualify mostly paperwork and and then you can you know work at a lower
1: budget it 's literally called the ultra low budget agreement. <laughs> Something that we have not yet talked about, uh, about either of these unions, but applies to all of the unions, and I think is uh, is very important, is one of the key things is that it gives you the right to vote within the union, to Mm -hmm. vote for your representatives in the union, to vote for the board, sometimes to vote on specific... Uh, agreements before their uh, their uh, the collective bargaining agreements are agreed to. And so it really does put you in a position to have a voice in what the standard of the industry is going to be in your chosen industry. You- uh, the, they're, they mostly work as representative, so you vote for the
3: officers of the union and then they make those decisions. So You're essentially endorsing the people that will do the bargaining on your behalf. <laughs> Although, in certain instances, all, there are all-member votes, for example, uh, work stoppages and strikes, you know, um, in certain situations, in certain unions that uh, all members vote.
0: And uh, also, there are often um, opportunities to come in and, vo- if you've worked on a certain contract in the past, to speak up in a, in a forum mm-hmm. to the representatives about your experience working on that contract as they're renegotiating it for the future.
3: Yeah, the, the communication between the members at large and the the officers and representatives in the union doesn't stop after an election. There are, I think, both unions are very good about this, is having open forums and discussions about potential changes to certain codes, touring contracts changing, health benefits changing. I know that's something that happened since I became a member of equity, that the, the health insurance setup changed Um And they're incredibly good about communicating that and opening up a discussion and hearing from the members at large who um, they really do make the the best efforts to represent.
1: Okay, so those are the two major acting unions. We should talk a bit about the uh, directing unions. I think I'm the only member of of one of the directing unions, although, Jen, I think you are uh, in the process of applying for an associate an associate membership. In. or
0: um, the SDC?
1: So, um, SDC is the Stage Directors and Choreographers Society. It used to be SSDC, the Society of Stage Directors and Choreographers, for years and years and years, and they did a rebranding of it a few years ago. Um, and so you might hear it referred to both ways because certainly people who've been around for a long time uh, keep wanting to refer to SSDC. But uh, S. SDC is the union for stage directors and uh, choreographers and fight directors also I believe are are members of SDC but they have in their mission statement which actually I really like it's very simple but it kind of sums up what all of the uh, unions are for is they said that they're there to protect the rights health and livelihood of their members which is kind of a nice summary of what all of these different Mm -hmm. unions do. In order to be eligible to join SDC, you have to have had paid employment as a director at a union house, which is generally equity, although also the uh, variety theaters and things like that, um, because there's separate uh, unions which you did not talk about for variety performers, that as long as you can establish that you have been paid as a professional at a professional theater you are eligible to become a member of uh, SDC. Unlike Equity, there there is much more of a gray area of places that, um, of places where you have to be a member of the union in order to work. Uh, there actually are fairly few places, certainly to direct on Broadway. I think at Lord A Theatres you have to be um, a member of SDC. But really, other than that, you, you do not have to be a member of SDC to be hired uh, in order to do a job. And one of the things that actually SDC talks about is uh, the way that an SDC theater is defined is if in that moment an SDC act director is directing there. Um, and so effectively, the way that it works is not that the theater has to have a certain number of equity contracts, for instance, but as a member of SDC, Every job that I do, I have to get an SDC-approved contract for and they have very many different versions of the contract. It actually for, you know, because I've certainly worked at universities and worked at you know developmental workshops at small theaters that didn't even pay me to do it. They do have contracts that cover those things, but also that cover your essential right as the director to your intellectual property to be sure you're appropriately credited, to be sure that if you are promised pay that you do in fact get that pay. Um, generally, SDC does want directors to be paid for their work. Though for a lot of works, they'll accept something as effectively a stipend. But they uh, they do um, generally want at least a hundred twenty-five. I think is the general minimum. Though there are exceptions to that that they will make with that with what they call a special contract. And also, really importantly, you know, it protects your rights to future productions of that show because especially for myself as a developmental director where I do direct a lot of workshops and first productions of shows um, that the contracts that you sign generally will protect your right to first refusal of directing a next production if it moves to um, a more prestigious venue for example or it will have a clause where they can buy you out of your contract effectively pay you again for directing the show But then not have you actually direct the next production. So that's largely what SDC does. Um, And it also, you know, has all of the different sorts of things that other unions have. It has, you know, your health and pension plan, uh, which you have to pay into with every job that you get. Uh, You can be a member of the actors' credit union. They have an emergency fund, sort of all of those general union sorts of things um, is. Uh, is available uh, through uh, SDC. And um, there are, as we mentioned, both a membership and an associate membership. Um, uh, membership you have to pay uh, currently, we're recording now in uh, early 2014, uh, but the current dues are you pay 1600 to get in. They actually just raised the yearly fee uh, to $220 uh, per year uh, membership fee, and then you pay 2.5 percent of your fees and royalties that you get uh, to the union. Uh, there's then the associate membership, which is 325 to join and 75 dollars a year. Um, and the real difference between the two is, you know, both of them, you know, get to go to the different uh, SDC. Uh, of you know like uh, lectures and things like that which they hold you still get the monthly magazine uh, which uh, which you get and things like that but it is the full members that are the ones that file the contracts and therefore the full members who and I've I've had a couple of situations where the union uh, has been great about uh, where I have not gotten something that I was promised in my contract and rather than having to you know sit and have a difficult angry meeting with a producer you call the union and they call them and it's all it's always been resolved you know that they actually will stand up for you and 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 ensure that you uh, get the things that you've been promised under your contract
0: and similar to what I was talking about with um, before you know before joining equity earlier I'm in a position where I don't I'm not yet at a place in my directing career where I want to um, be required to file a direct you know an SDC contract for every job that I have the benefit of the associate membership is uh, in addition to all of those you know the things you were talking about with the newsletter and some of the job listings and so forth um, I would have access to people who would be who would at the what they call the contract desk who would go over my contracts so even though SDC wouldn't really be You know the theaters. I'm negotiating with are really still just negotiating with me But the SDC would help make sure that I'm asking for things that will protect me Um, So even though I don't have the benefit of filing that contract I do have the benefit of um, all of the expertise that goes behind those contracts
1: and One other thing that the union does or actually it's a foundation that's affiliated with the union the uh, SDCF the stage directors and choreographers foundation Um, that they actually offer a number of fellowships and things like that uh that actually you don't have to be a member of the union uh to uh to get and to apply for and to get and actually most of them if you get one of them uh they give you a an associate membership as part of of what you do uh as as part of the award uh but some of them are like very you know uh Prestigious sorts of major awards that they give to recognize directors in different areas, um, and also they have a lot of support for early career people. I mean, one of the most important things I did in my career was I got a fellowship through the SDCF, uh, one of their observer fellowships, uh, which effectively, you know, puts somebody who's an early career person into a room. Uh, into the process of a a major production. Uh, The production I observed on was uh, the roundabout production of 110 in the Shade um, with Audra McDonald, uh, directed by Lonnie Price in 2007, I guess. But it really was something that was an amazing opportunity where they give you a stipend so that you can afford to take time off of your day job and just go and really watch, you know, people at the top of their field working. And it was a really great opportunity to uh, To be able to observe, but also I made some amazing relationships from that process that really, you know, have played a really important role in the evolution of my career since then. Um, You know, because it actually is this is not what this episode is about, but it just that that such an important thing when you're earlier in your career to find the ways to get in the room with people who have the kind of career you're trying to build. Um, And and SDC is really great about trying to provide opportunities for early career directors to do that. Uh, before we move on to the uh, writers' unions, I, I will mention briefly the uh, Directors Guild of America, which is the film directors' union, uh, which I am not a member of, and uh, I actually have had some dealings with them as a producer, actually, but not as a as a director. Um, but in a similar way to um, uh, to the difference between Equity and SAG-AFTRA, because there's much more money in film than there is in theater, the fees and dues are much higher. I mean, if you're a feature film director or a television director, it's a $10,000 initiation fee. It's not something you join lightly. And candidly, it's not something they allow you to join lightly. You actually have to have in hand a signed contract that's under uh, their jurisdiction before you can apply to be a member. And then... Uh, they have different councils in the different areas of like feature film directing and, and television directing, and they then look at the applicants and decide whether they are sufficiently professionally established to be part of the union. Um, so that is certainly something that is out there, although generally I, I suspect that if you uh, uh, if, if, if the time is right for you to join the Directors Guild, it is uh, you, you have sufficient support around you to walk you through the process at that point. All right, uh, so let's talk about the Writers' Union. Jen, I know you actually joined fairly recently yeah. um, to the uh, uh, Dramatist Guild, but it's actually important, I think, to point out that the Dramatist Guild is a professional organization and is not actually a union. It is I think just important to point that out, although it is something that serves a, a similar purpose uh, in many aspects for uh, theater writers um, that the difference between uh, the dramatist guild as a professional organization rather than a union is they really work to create the standards within the industry to create sort of minimal expectations of what an, a playwright or a uh, what a playwright should get for different levels of things but they do not actually represent playwrights in enforcing those rights that they do have for example sample contracts and things like that that they provide to members and that they'll provide counseling in a similar way that you were talking about associate members of uh, of the of SDC get about what you should get in your contract and they're very good at that however if your contract is violated since they're not a union actually representing you as an individual union member, they will not come in and, and try to enforce that. Uh, they certainly have been some high profile cases where they have, for instance, gone to the press on behalf of someone, but again the focus is much more about creating the standard which then hopefully will help all of the playwrights who work in the industry rather than necessarily um, enforcing it in the way that a, that a union does. The Dramatist Guild changed relatively recently the uh, eligibility requirements for becoming a member. Uh, they have two levels of membership um, membership and associate membership. And for years, up until 2010, the bar for becoming a full member of the Guild was incredibly high. You had to have a Class A production. Of one of your plays, which was, which is either on Broadway or off Broadway, or a Lort A production, which is one of the the largest of the regional theaters, um, in order to be eligible to be a full member, and then anybody else who is a professional playwright could be an associate member. In 2010, they changed that in order to grow uh, the size of the community and. Now, in order to become a full member, you need to have had a professional production of one of your plays, and you have to provide documentation of that. Mm -hmm. But effectively, that means if people have paid admission to see one of your plays, you are eligible to be a member of the Dramatist Guild. And uh, in order to be an associate member, you need to be able to either um, uh, supply evidence that a workshop or reading of one of your plays have done, Or even that you have written a complete play by submitting a script that you've written and then you become eligible for associate membership. They used to have student memberships which they still which they don't quite have but they do have a thing that if you can provide a letter from your university saying that you are currently a student they'll give you 50% off the fees for whichever category you qualify for. Um, And in order to become a member, it's $130 a year. And to be an associate member, it's $90 a year. Um, By being a member, you get to uh, vote on uh, on, on the leadership of the guild. And also you get a profile on their website, which is a place that people go to look for to find out things about playwrights. Uh, and then both associate members and members get all sorts of... They, again, they do seminars and things like that for their community. You, there's an, uh, the Dramatist is the quarterly uh, magazine uh, of the Dramatist Guild, which associate members and members get. And again, they both are uh, eligible to get the advice and wisdom uh, of the leadership of the Guild in uh, uh, both a bit of you know career advice that they're willing to give and also... Um, again, advice on protecting your, your yourself and your work legally. And for television and film writers, uh, there's the WGA, the Writers Guild of America, and they uh, say their primary duty is to represent their members in negotiation with film and television producers, and then uh, once a contract is in place uh, to enforce it. Uh, they also do have programs for uh, health and pension, like any other union, and what, a couple of the things that they are uh, really big on, uh, as as you might be able to imagine, is intellectual property and protecting the credits. It actually is the WGA that decides who is credited as the writer of films and television shows. Uh, oftentimes you'll see in the credits story by X, Y, and Z by X ampersand Y and Bill Smith and all of that, you know, it, because again, especially in film and television, there are many writers that contribute to a... Uh, to a script, and the WGA is actually the organization as the representative of the writers that is the arbiter of who is credited for the uh, writing of a specific screenplay. And they also do a lot of work in terms of, as, as actually a lot of... of uh, the unions do uh, in terms of uh, legislation that protect their members and things like that. Um, one of the services that they provide that you don't have to be a member of the WGA to avail yourself of is script registration. Mm-hmm. And you just go to their website. But if you want to register a screenplay, that effectively, it, has, it serves a very similar thing to a copyright. But effectively what it does is it puts it in their system and says, on this date in time, this person had written this screenplay and have a copy of it in their records so that if ever there's any conflict about your intellectual property from that script being stolen, they can go back and demonstrate that, yes, on this date, this person already had that idea and registered it with us. And so that's just, it, it costs $20 to do per script. It's a, it's a really great service. Uh, that they provide and all of these different unions have websites uh, you know that have all of the detail that you'll want just google their names and they'll come up and we'll actually put the names of the unions and their websites in the show notes
0: I also think it's important that we clarify um, something that's true in all of kind of across all of the unions we've been talking about Um, we've mentioned a lot of times pension and health or health insurance and that's something that is, yes, a benefit of being a member of one of these unions, but it's not something that comes with your membership. It is something that each union has a different set of rules and guidelines about your eligibility for those uh, benefits. And it it can include how much money you've made in a particular period of time, and it can include how many weeks you've been on contract in a particular period of time. There are all sorts of different rules, but the, the theaters and the and the um, productions are paying into your pension fund and your health insurance fund. But if you don't meet those eligibility requirements as the as the artist, you actually may not get to draw those benefits. Mm-hmm. So those are all very different based on you know what's been negotiated with with each union. But it's it's a an important distinction.
3: Each yeah, each union is 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 different. Uh, with equity, it's. Um Based on the number of weeks that you work
0: on a contract,
3: on a contract, and it's broken down quarterly. And then with SAG-AFTRA, it's about the amount of money that you've made in the previous uh, year. And you, if you meet that threshold, then you're eligible.
0: And you're eligible for a set period of time, not indefinitely. Right.
3: And that's to ensure that you know the benefits are being rewarded to those that are working in the field. And uh, those eligibility requirements change, too. Um, they evolve. Uh, and there are other wonderful resources through affiliate organizations like the Actors Fund, financial assistance, um, health assistance, discounts on prescription drugs, uh, mm-hmm. social work, though, those types of services that are available through affiliated organizations through union membership that sort of fall under the... Uh, umbrella of, of healthcare care, but aren 't specifically health plan and health benefits
1: and today we 've been talking primarily about the unions that performers and directors and writers belong to in the theater and film. Um, but there actually are, and it 's something that kind of came as a surprise to me once uh, i when I encountered them is that there are many 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 other aspects of the theater. Uh, and especially uh New York and Broadway theater that are also covered by their own unions and Jenny, you used to be on the staff at the what was then the Hilton theater right uh, on Broadway, and uh, can you talk a little bit about the all of the different unions that yeah uh, and there the I mean there
2: are many that I am not aware of specifically in terms of like shows like there's a wardrobe union local 764 and i'm sure there's others along those lines but i dealt with uh a lot local 751 which is basically ticket sellers uh box office uh folks local 802 uh covers the musicians local one covers the stage hands so that's props sound uh, electrics and carpentry um and the ATSI local three o six covers front of house ushers, ticket takers uh, backstage door people and and also at Pam, which covers press agents and marketing and uh, front of house like the house manager specifically and company managers for shows
1: and all of those different unions have their own different rules to protect their people it's It's a very interesting thing when you're working in a in a uh, local one house. No one is allowed to touch a set piece to move it, except for the members of the union. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean that's just a just a very everyone knows that, and it's a very strictly held by rule. And uh, but it's very interesting because actually something I do a fair uh, amount of is filming live theater events, and we do a lot of it up at the um, New York Philharmonic. And those are situations where you have. The musicians' union, actors' equity, local one, plus the cameraman's union, plus the uh, DGA is uh, like all of these different unions with all of their different rules, and the stage manager needs to work out the day because there's different lengths that the guys who are the camera guys have to have a different amount of time before their break than the stage guys do then it's a different amount of time than the musicians have and so it's this amazing uh, uh, organizational feat to work out a day that continues to be productive when you realize the people who need to move the um, set pieces are all going to be out to lunch for an hour at this time, so we need to be sure we 're working on something where nothing needs to move on stage, for example um, and, uh, and, and, and the you know that's stage managers man i mean we 've sung their their praises on uh, on on this podcast before, but when you 're talking about a situation where you 're balancing all that many different unions rules it 's uh, it's something to behold. Are there any things I mean obviously there's a lot of information uh, about uh, the unions from the people who are members, but a lot of people when they're starting out, produce their own work, and even when they're not starting out uh, produce their uh, are producers on shows. Are there specific things that you think you need to keep in mind as a producer when dealing with unions?
0: Well, I think when you're first starting out one of one of the first ways you might encounter the union in New York City is the Showcase Code. So even if you're not ready to be producing, it's a good idea to go to the Equity website and read the Showcase Code so that you can understand, at least for the actors and stage managers, what their unions would require of you as a producer because the code is the, the showcase code contract is with the producer and it has things about budgets and you know conditions and all this stuff and so even if you weren't doing a showcase code you could try to run your shows by some of those uh standards just to get you know to get a feel for what's expected so i think reading the showcase code is a good place to start and also if you are the actor or the director on the project you are still required to follow the rules of the union you belong to. So even if you're the producer, you, you, you can't waive the, you know, the actor's equity rules just because you're also the actor. Um, so you're going to need to find contracts and schedule your show according to the contracts that you're allowed to work under.
1: And you, actually, I know, as a member of Equity, who has also produced shows, have a special feature on your Equity card.
0: <laughs> yes, I uh, I produced a show that I was acting in a number of years ago, and uh, because I was familiar with the Equity rules, I was the liaison from the producing team, um, you know, to you know get the Equity contract set up, and I received a letter in the mail saying that I would now be designated as a, a producing member of the union and that they put a, a row of stars across all of my future equity cards because w- what it meant was that I am not only a member as an actor but I'm also in a position to hire other actors and so it limits sometimes the um, I mentioned earlier about being able to come and speak up about uh, certain contracts it sometimes limits the my uh, accessibility to some of those things because they they want to protect the actor's right to speak up and not be in, in danger of losing a job and they want to make sure that the contracts are being negotiated in the best interests of the actors and, and that I'm not there to represent the producers in, mm. in those conversations. Um, I, can, I can, if I choose to, I can write them a letter to have that removed if I'm no longer producing, but I I still have those stars because I still occasionally produce.
1: And uh, I also think it's just really important to realize as a producer, if you are in a position where you're hiring equity actors, SDC, uh, director or choreographer, etc., that you respect the fact that the union rules and the union contracts are not negotiable that I have seen situations where they're, you know, where the, you know, director, where someone has been hiring me and has said, well, do you really need the health and pension allowance in there? Can you take that out? Yes, you do. That's not up to me. Or something that they do, which is, could we take, could we take money, would you pay us back for the money that went into the, uh, into the pension? And, and, and the answer is, if you don't have a budget to afford to hire union people, then don't hire union people. Um, but again, most of the unions, all of the unions, want to be in a position to let their people work where there is good work. And so if you're willing to jump through the you know, hoops sometimes of getting the uh, showcase code in place, of uh, getting the correct contract with the SDC uh, director. It shouldn't be a problem to hire them at almost any budget. But the fact of the matter is, they are professionals and there will very likely be some price, even if it's just a travel stipend that goes along with hiring them. And you should just honor that.
0: And it's important to really educate yourself about what all of those contracts are because some of them are also very much contingent upon each other. And um, before you hire uh, somebody from one union, you, you need to make sure that um, there's not a requirement. Sometimes you're not allowed to pay a particular artist more than you pay another artist. And so really understanding that sometimes the consequences of hiring one person at a certain price point means you'll have to pay a bunch of people at that price point and really making sure you've educated yourself about all of those requirements before you hire union artists.
1: I think that's a good place to wrap up. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please let others know about the podcast. If you're listening to this and have not subscribed, you can go to iTunes and subscribe, or you can go there to write us a review or give us stars. If you'd like to know more about the Cry Havoc Company, our educational programs, our upcoming public events, and how you can support our work, please visit www.cryhavoccompany.org. If you have thoughts, comments, or questions about the podcast, you can email us at podcast at cryhavoccompany.org. You can follow us on Twitter at NYC, or find us as The Cry Havoc Company on Facebook. So, for myself, Jen, Carrie, Jen, Jersey, Jenny, and everyone at The Cry Havoc Company, thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you soon.
0: You can learn more about the Cry Havoc Company at org. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe.